Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, welcome to Going Off Track. I'm Jonah. <laughs> Everyone's laughing at me here. It's, it's a long story. I want to post a link to a video at the end with this podcast. Oh, God. Uh, you can find out what we're laughing about. Steve and Brad are also here laughing at me, if you're wondering. Uh, he's relentlessly mocking me. Uh, for good reason, though. I d- really deserved it. Uh, yeah, today on the podcast, we have uh, someone I've been trying to get on for years. He's uh, a very busy, a very busy guy, and... Uh, I don't want to give away one of the most exciting aspects of this podcast, but uh, he cut one of my family members' hair. Uh, I love that which story. Which is an incredible story. Uh, it's uh, Chris Daly. Uh, you may know from Texas is a Reason. Um, played on Texas is a Reason. Also uh, was in Jets of Brazil, uh, which we discuss a lot. And uh, now plays, um, it's gotten really into reggae and uh, plays in High Disciple. And those guys are playing shows. They're really awesome. Um, so check out their SoundCloud page and uh, follow. Uh, you can follow uh, him online on Instagram. And we talk a lot about Jersey in this. Talk a lot about the Grateful Dead. Uh, Chris is a super hardcore deadhead. I would say very much. Yeah, <laughs> very much. So he goes deep. It goes deep. But yeah. uh, Stephen, are you a deadhead? I'm a huge deadhead. And if really? seriously, if you have you followed? I haven't followed because I'm. Um, I'm just at that age where I like was just old enough to see them before Jerry died, right? But not old enough unless but they still I, like, play, right? Then they yeah, not? they with John Mayer. Oh, okay, which is like a lot of people really hate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really care. I mean, I think they're doing it for money. Did obviously. you see that video? I saw someone post recently of John Mayer getting too close to Bob Weir. Yeah, on and stage. Bob, Bob Weir freaking out. Yeah, like John Mayer's like slowly and walks over to Bob Weir and kind of gets close to him. Bob Weir's like, just like, yeah, like, he's, like fuck, get fuck away you, from buddy. me. <laughs> <laughs> good dynamic it seems like uh, but yeah if you've ever wondered if a Jets to Brazil reunion will ever happen listen to this episode I feel like we got an exclusive scoop on that um, and uh, yeah this is a, was a really fun episode uh, so so you know like I said Chris is really really busy so we appreciate him coming by thanks to Pulse Audio for letting us record here Pulse Music Pulse Music ah. <laughs> and uh why do i feel so flustered all of a sudden <laughs> the clapping really yeah really I just, messed you this, up. man i just I, I gotta like get my head back on straight 
Okay, um, I'm going to shut up and let's listen to this podcast with Texas is a Reason drummer, Chris Daly. It's going on Chris, you're here. I'm here. Hi, Chris. Finally. How's it going? It's going good. Yeah? You, uh, you live in the suburbs? It seems like you have a pretty nice setup, according to what I've seen online. It is. It's a, you know, it's, it's a nice little you know, uh, country. It's not really that far from the city. I shouldn't say that. We're in West Orange, which is, okay. you know, hop, skip, and a jump from the city. My wife and I both work in the city, so it's like kind of middle ground. It's, you know, get get away from the craziness of the city, and, you know, we can raise our kids in good schools and have parks. I mean, not that you don't in the city, but just it was too much for us. When you so. happen to have the south mountain reservation right by you which is a fine place for anyone who doesn't know very full of adventure we're still i mean we've been there a little over three years and there's parts that we're still discovering yeah it's like there's just uh it's a cool place you know and it seems like a you know it's we've adapted to it pretty easy and uh we like it out there we have some friends moved out you know bought houses by us too and it's you know seems like a it's happening a lot a lot yeah. of people. I know something Making... cool for you to look out for. What's that? I met a mushroom man at my local farmer's market. Yeah. He is like the mushroom man. I forget his name. He gave me a business card and I asked him where he sourced his mushrooms and he says that he gets some at South Mountain Reservation, I which is it. the park right by where Chris lives. So you can go mushroom foraging if you'd wish. Okay. Are these like like salad mushrooms or are these like mind enhancing oh salad okay yeah good. salad well i mean <laughs> he probably he, does both he struck That's me as the type card. of guy who wouldn't be averse <laughs> to like mind altering <laughs> mushrooms but i don't think that you might lose your farmer's market license True. if you start getting uh, people wasted. Was, is he like from out yeah is, yeah is his uh business the foraged feast yeah i believe so uh, he, he you know we, that guy we go to the uh summit farmer's market oh, okay yeah this is so like no. we're talking about farmers markets. i love it yeah Listen, great. and what's funny but, is no, i know awesome. the summit farmer's market as well yeah i'm from That's, chatham so oh, i know oh well. See, Jonah, go back to Cleveland, asshole. speaking of psychedelic mushrooms uh i you i think of you as like a very influential kind of new york hardcore post-hardcore figure but i know you're a huge fan of the grateful dead yeah how did that kind of come about and like did you get made fun of a lot about that or not really not at all has that all been throughout your life sort of it really has but in a you know in a kind of you know i grew up in a family where the grateful dead my parents loved the dead but my older brother when i was born i had a 13 year old brother it was that was the gap between us so by the time i was like eight you know, he was like, he started going to the shows, I think, in like 77, dead wow. shows. So he got really into them in the 70s, you know, when he was in high school. So my parents, I think, you know, they saw his, you know, fervor and like traveling to go see them and just going to see them as much as possible. And they became interested. And I think my parents, when they heard the music, they were kind of like taken back by like, oh, this is not what I, you know, they they got into. It. My mom was like big into rock and roll. You know, Beatles. Beatles were like everything. So I heard there was a lot of music. You know, I had older brother, two older brothers, and older sister. And um, my parents got into the Dead. And then in like I think it was seventy nine or eighty, they opened the what is now the I don't even know what it's called, but the Meadowlands opened the arena, which is called the Izod uh, yeah, Center right now. It was the Brendan Byrne Arena. Yeah. And my father worked for PSENG, and he was like you know a corporate guy, and they. 
uh, you know, opened, they got a, PSNG owned a suite at the Brendenburn Arena. So all throughout the 80s, we had tickets for free in oh, like a, yeah. a luxury suite at the Brendenburn Arena for any concert we wanted to go and to. And for reference to people from out of the area, the Brendenburn was like the only arena in New Jersey. Yeah. So if, if any big rock band or anything like yeah. that came through, it'd be there. And they'd always play there and they'd always be like, what's up, New York? Everyone, <laughs> everyone would be like, you're in fucking Jersey. Like, you know, they're still endearing, but you know, you're like... You could see New York from there, but it was... You you're know. literally standing on Jimmy Hoffa's body. Like, yeah, come totally. on, man. Like. <laughs> but everybody played there. But, you know, so my whole family, my parents, we all went to concerts together. You know, I saw, like, the police, you know, in, like, 83. I saw, you know, Van Halen in 82 and 84. Like, I, I got to see, like, a lot of concerts, you know, with my parents. Sometimes I went with my older siblings who were, you know in high school and my or my my sister was eight years older than me so by the time i was like 10 she was like 18 she would take me and my my uh friends to like heavy metal concerts and stuff but so i guess it was around 84 when i was 12 you know I, my bro, my older brother who's no longer around he uh was a big influence on me <clears throat> so i mean i was always with him so i was always listening to grateful dead you know passively you know it wasn't like i was really into them but you know he would always talk about them so it was just i was always getting fed this information but it definitely like later in life i think with you know van halen and then heavy metal and then hardcore you know my fascination with like every little detail of of, of music you know like mm. and what this guy you know all the stories you know i think it came from my brother telling me every single detail about every single grateful dead song and like the members of the band and you know, so fast forward, you know, there was always like, I saw them probably about six times with my family throughout the um, mid 80s to like the 90s. And then <clears throat> by like, I mean, even I got into hardcore like 87 and I still even saw them a couple times during that when I was like full and, you know, only listen to hardcore and was like fully into that. But I liked going to the shows because I liked it was a spectacle. You know, my family went. I just liked going to concerts. I would go see, and you know, my parents would be like, "You want to go see Don Henley?" I'd be like, "Yeah, I'll go." You know, we go to <laughs> arena concert, like whatever. So, you know, I saw them a bunch. It was always fun, and uh, you know, as time went on, uh, my brother passed away about twelve years ago, and I had, li you know, here and there I listened to them, but after he was gone, you know, I found myself like, you know, missing him. And I don't know what it was. Like I, one time I, I just heard a dead song and it made me think of him. And, mm. you know, I kind of like went into like listening to them as a way to connect with him in, you know, some obtruse way. Um, and uh, it, it steamrolled. It just got out of control until like, I was like, oh my God, like, how do I like this band so much? But I really do. I mean, it's pretty much. Was your brother a collector at all? Did he have any cool dead stuff? He had like, I mean, his pickup truck was just cassette tapes after cassette tapes and that was the thing too you know yeah was playing that the shows, shows yeah you know and he he had like hundreds of cassettes right. and like even i remember sitting in his room you know as a little kid like <clears throat> you know he moved out and he'd moved back in with my parents he was a landscaper you know and he he would uh he moved back in i remember like probably when i was like you know around that age like 12 13 like impressionable and i would just sit with him his he had a room out by the garage that was his like little 
stoner den and like i'd be sitting in there with him and he'd be doing like bong hits like we'd be listening to like you know shakedown street or something and i'd be like looking at the record covers and stuff like you know just weird shit like that i remember like my childhood but it was totally normal to me yeah um but yeah it was just like uh it i just found myself like enjoying them as an adult yeah. you know and really and understand and like it all, all these things came back to me you know like hearing songs i'm like oh i remember this song like you know it just it was so familiar but it just i i you know didn't really have an interest in it until after he was gone and it was like like i said a way to connect with him and then i just realized how much i enjoy listening to them so it just kind of snowballed from there to point where you know it is pretty much the majority of what i listen to nowadays so where right. should like the layman start with grateful dead because i feel like i know some tunes i kind of dig some of it yeah i do dig the vibe because i heard about that tape sharing thing and i'm like it's really fucking punk rock and yeah. it was like a long time ago yeah. dude like, i always say that the yeah. dead is more punk rock than anyone gives yeah them, they did their own thing credit for. like i mean like, i had a very similar experience to you uh-huh. i'm a huge deadhead oh, awesome. as well my older brother yeah a huge deadhead and uh yeah totally same except i felt like i had to hide it did you ever feel like you had to hide it no because like (laughs) i mean it was like you know everybody who practiced at my like resurrection practiced at my parents house texas is the reason we practice at my parents where was your parents in long valley long valley yeah nice where'd you grow up uh somerville okay yeah Yeah. close by no the turf yeah so you know jets to brazil even we started you know we started rehearsing at my parents house because i still lived out there we i had a rehearsal space you know in like i had like a section out by my garage this rec room that was like you know we had a pa so everyone would take the train out or i'd go pick people up you know in hoboken and drive them out and we could hang out for the weekend my parents had a pool you know it was just like everyone would come out from the city to hang out in the country but there was like dead stuff all over my parents house you know like my mom had like a jerry garcia doll and like you know everyone knows sounds awesome but yeah yeah you know and it was like uh so yeah it's like it just it surprised me how much i enjoy them but i mean like as far as the entry point like listen to like something live from like the spring of 77 okay that's like that's like I always the, tell like you American think that's Beauty. Like the peak? American Beauty. Like, yeah. I mean as a studio Beauty. album, American yeah. Beauty, Working Man's Dead, that's like their their like I'm know. like you can't listen to that and not love that. Yeah. So you guys not think late seventies is the real live the prime? Stuff? Yeah. I mean it's it's pff, there's stuff from you know, all over. There's Matt, you know, really good stuff. But you know, there was definitely something there was a a peak. Cool. that they hit around the, you know 72 to 77 was like pretty, pretty i'm gonna amazing. reintroduce i've wanted to forever and then i like i'll do a quick google and i'm like oh jesus christ this is daunting <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't know where to go i'll send you i'll send you some stuff okay dude okay, my I'll math teacher brought me to every dead show really that that's amazing to. he would pick like a couple kids who he knew were like cool and not wouldn't say anything he was a huge deadhead uh-huh we would go to shows with him and he'd like just be like cool see you guys later was this like That's parents' amazing. permission or like on the side? My there? parents didn't know what was going on. You know, yeah. so, this <laughs> say whatever a I wanted. <laughs> no, no, I don't know. I like, I like I know, it. I know I like it applies attitude. to the story, yeah, but when have, you have older siblings, okay. I had a question. This is a little bit of a non sequitur, but uh, job egg reunion recently announced. Yeah, did that surprise you? And do you think there will ever be a Jets to Brazil reunion? Well, 
I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, I think the time, I mean, I expected it would inevitably happen at some point. Right. I just figured, I mean, even when Jets was happening, they would get, you know, Blake would talk about these ridiculous offers they mm, would get. Even play. then? Yeah. Like, you know, we're talking like 98, 99, when they weren't even broken up for like a couple of years. And, you know, the money that's going around now and fests and that stuff, that didn't even exist then. But, right. You know, I remember like for doing like a run of like eight shows, there was some astronomical amount of and i'm just like dude (laughs) (laughs) and you know and he you know he would just he had no interest you know just like and uh but you know yeah i figured it would happen but the strange thing is about a year ago um jade tree now sold to epitaph right Hmm. so Hmm. epitaph is gonna like i don't know you know take care but at the time it's about a year and a half ago maybe two years ago Darren from Jade Tree reached out to all of us about reissuing the Jets vinyl because it had been out of print for so long and he was they wanted to remaster it for vinyl and you know they started doing it with um Promise Ring and mm-hmm. I think like Pedro the Lion and then we were going to be next. So we sent it out to all of us and we were all, you know, me, Jeremy and Brian were all conversing in it and you know Blake had yet to um get in the conversation. So we were like we can't really proceed until he gets in, you know, we can't make the decision. Um and you know, my history is I left Jets to Brazil on pretty bad terms. And it was between me and him. Like, we just butted heads a lot. You know, I think that, you know, I might have been overbearing at times. But it was just, it was tough. Like, I think we both wanted different things from the group. And I found it, you know, I I just felt like I wanted to do so much. Like, I, I mean, it's not, I wanted to be in, like, the Black Crows and, like, Oasis. You know, I didn't want to be in... Like a little indie rock band, you know? Right. And we had, I think we, uh, there was a lot of opportunities we passed up, you know, to, to maintain the integrity of the band and keep it. And, you know, in, in retrospect, like, it did work to, to our, it was a strength of ours, I think. But at the same time, like, I saw a lot of our peers take these chances and take these opportunities and it made me jealous, you know? Like, I'm not afraid to say that. I was like... Was this like major label stuff? You like, know, that and just like, you know, just doing more. We we, yeah. we were very... We lived inside... You know, we kept like the band inside press, of a bubble. More, yeah. And that was something he even said early on. He's like, I want to preserve the bubble mm. for as long as we can. And that's... We did, you know, like, we toured sporadically. And, you know, when we did, it was good. And we were, you know... The plus of it was we were able to, like, tour, like, you know, probably a total of, like, four months out of the year... And not have to work jobs, you know. When we play shows sporadically and the records sold, we were on a label, you know, who were fair with us and paid us royalties. So we were able to, like, survive. But I was just like, what if we just, you know, were a little more ambitious? Right. And, like, you know, but it just wasn't, it wasn't meant to be, you know. So Do you think in retrospect, like, Jets did have the potential to go more mainstream? You know, I think so. You know, at the time, we definitely lived in Jawbreaker's shadow. Mm-hmm. Like, even though people came out, and I know people liked the band and, you know, sang the songs and stuff, but it was just like, every show was just like, I mean, till the end, people shouted Jawbreaker songs, yeah, you yeah. know, incessantly. And, you know, for me, like, with me, like, I I was one of those weird people. I only got into Dear You. Like, I never, I never was a fan of Jawbreaker. Like, I just never understood their appeal and i heard that record and i was like okay this i get it like this is this is pretty and then you know realizing everyone that was a a very divisive record but i was like i heard that and then i heard they broke up and then it was probably like 
you know, six months later, Texas broke up and I was, I ran into Jeremy Chatelaine who was living in Brooklyn, you know, and uh, his band Handsome had broken up too. And Mm -hmm. he's like, Hey, I'm playing with Blake from Jawbreaker and we need a drummer. Would you want to do it? And I was like, what like how are you like it didn't make you know he's like a salt lake city hardcore dude played an insight saying for handsome in case you mm-hmm. know he was the bass player of jets and i was like what how how did that happen and he's like oh you know we live close and our girlfriends are really close so he's starting he lives in brooklyn and i'm like oh weird so i was i was like i wasn't doing anything it sounded curious and i was like well if it's anything like that last jawbreaker record that could be i'm interested in hearing it so I went and started playing with them and, uh, you know, it was, it was different. You know, at first I was a little like, I don't know, like, I don't, I just, it was some, you know, the first couple, uh, we recorded the practice and I went home and I was really, I was on the fence about it. I, I played it for some, like, you know, probably played it for like scoots and, and I was like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I just, I don't know how I feel about it. Like, I know it, it's pretty cool and it's different, but I don't know, you know, if this is what I want to do. And, uh, like, as maybe I hesitated a little in getting calling them back and being like, hey, let's play again. But then Jeremy called me and was like, hey, listen, my buddy from Salt Lake is going to play drums. He's he moved out here. I go way back with him. Like, it's nothing personal, but he's he lives in Brooklyn. And, you know, we've been playing with him. And I'm like, OK, cool. And it was really like it, I was because at that point I was starting to lean towards like, I think I really like this. Like, mm, I right. like that it's different and it's not what I would expect to be doing. Um, And uh it was it was kind of a rough blow. I was like, I think I think I fucked up. Like I, I might have just really fucked up huh. being a little. But as time would have it, like I think like probably another month went by and I ran into him. He's like, hey, so it's not working out. You still uh. want to do it? And I was like, <laughs> yes. And that was it. You know. So, um, but yeah. Long story short, you know, time went on and uh, there was just a lot of stuff that happened, and I just finally lost faith in in being in the band and and compromising and and you know i was i was just finding tour to be very isolating and lonely and um you know even though we had a lot of fun you know for the most part but there was just a lot of tension and i I was just finding it harder and harder to enjoy myself and uh i was i bowed out you know and uh you know it was just it wasn't fun anymore yeah you know and um but so I, I was kind of like, you know, as time went on, I learned to like, you know, I couldn't even listen to the band anymore. I couldn't like, you know, when people talked about it, it just upset me, I think, because I always, I wished it had, had turned out different, you know, and I wish it didn't end that way. But, um, so there was this feeling of, you know, of this open end and like, I, I wasn't happy with how it just kind of fell apart and, you know. I know I walked away from it, so I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, really have anything to do with it. But so time went on and, uh, Blake actually, you know, when, when, uh, Jadri reached out about that, finally Blake chimed in and he just chimed into the three of us, you know, he left the, he left Jadri out of the conversation and he was like, you know, just really amicable to me and, you know, um, and all of us and he's like you know said really nice things about the group and you know he's like you know maybe we should use this as an opportunity to start to play some shows or you know, he says like is that crazy like mm. that, like am i and uh i was like wow you know i would have never ever thought that that would ever happen so i was like 
you know, and I thought about it, I'm like, that would be, you know, like, be a good way to, to kind of cl- put closure on it. And, uh, so we talked a little bit and he's, you know, he had some stuff he needed to take care of, but he's like, once I get this all together, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk and we'll figure it out. And so him and I, st- you know, I reached out to him separately and I'm like, Hey, you know, just kind of clear the air and just told him that, you know, uh, it's nice to be talking again and I'm, I look forward to like getting together and, you know, just him and I, and that's cause everyone else is out of town. I was still here and he was still in Brooklyn. So I'm like, let's get together and, you know, have coffee and, you know, we can talk. That was it. Never, you know, he's like, okay, cool. I'll get, I'll get back to you. And then, you know, this like a year and, you know, I, I mean, I wasn't waiting around any longer. I figured something came up and whatever. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, it was close to happening, but definitely I think now, very very slim chance of, you know man. but you know i i'm psyched for jawbreaker fans especially you know it seems like they got a lot as most bands you know i i'm aware of uh you know get bigger in their absence you know yeah and that's a band country. everyone missed out on yeah and, yeah you know especially at the time the climate was like everyone was hating on them you yeah. Know? right right yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean so, do you feel like that ha- i mean maybe to another extent that kind of happened with texas oh totally yeah totally i mean and that was you know the whole thing with us getting back together initially in 2006 was that thing like we we were friends we started a band we you know everything just kind of like took off and just kept moving and moving and like you know for two years straight like we never said no we just played every show we got offered we went on every tour we got offered you know and um you know we got like we were gonna do you know a major label record and it just all imploded we just ended up you know it was just it was i think a knee-jerk reaction that you know when we got into adulthood where you know we found ourselves all talking to each other and like kind of laughing about you know, it didn't make sense that we broke up the way we did because we were grown up and, you know, all, you know, in each other's lives and, you know, know that we all meant a lot to each other and like, oh, you know, we left the door like wide open, you know, we should at least like close it on a good note. And that's what those shows in 2006 were. And that's what we said. We're like, it's just going to be these two shows in New York. We're not getting back together. We're not doing a tour. And that's what we did, you know, and, uh, you know, for all the work it took to get a band, like to get ready for those two shows Mm. after not playing together for 10 years, it was like, we should have done more. Like it just, the amount of work and effort that went into rehearsing and, but still those were, I mean, selling out two nights the engine, right? That was was the antimatter thing? No, we didn't, we didn't do that. These were just our... 10th anniversary shows okay and that was in uh 2006 we did two nights at irving plaza and we Mm -hmm. sold out irving plaza two nights which was way way beyond our you know we could have ever imagined like when we you know talked about doing it we're like we'll do it in new york like we were honestly thinking like maybe we could sell out one night at bowery ballroom and tim edwards our booking agent bless his soul he was like he's like not only are you He's like, you guys are playing Irving Plaza, but he's like, I'm going to guarantee that you're going to do two nights at Irving Plaza sold out. And we were like, you're high, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
that's i mean it's he's like so we're like we're not putting two shows because like we don't want to play one show sold out and then the yeah, next yeah. The, the second the last show to like 500 people at irving plaza he's like here's what we're gonna do you know we'll put the first show on sale see how that starts selling and if it starts then we'll add the second one you know by popular demand right so we put the first one on and you know sold out the tickets in like you know half hour or something so it was just like holy shit but um i, mean, you know, I can th- see where you'd be surprised because i mean like texas shows back in the day were big and popular but like yeah not, you- i mean it's like i think the-, the biggest show for us i think was like selling out the wetlands but it was like you know we had like the prom like we had strong bills it wasn't like you know awesome. right um I think that's something people don't. It's, it's something you mentioned earlier about Jawbreaker and the scope of what it is, and yeah. like what it was then, yeah. and how a band like you guys, since you wrote good music and good songs last, that the um, I, I don't think people realize how small it was. Yeah, back in the day, you know what I mean. Like I don't like pre the idea that you could make any money like going through a channel like revelation records or like something like that like the idea didn't even really exist yet no right not at all i mean like we you know we'd go on tour and we'd play like pretty decent sized shows but like i don't ever remember coming home and splitting up any money you know like even selling shirts every you know it was enough to get from show to show and um you know maybe buy some guitar strings but i don't even you know I'm pretty sure I bought all my own drumsticks and drum heads and equipment, you know, like even that, there wasn't a band fun or anything like that. Um, but you know, it was cool to, you know, definitely, it definitely worked in Texas favor to, you know, go away for 10 years. And, uh, you know, and then this, this last round in 2012 was brought on by revelation celebrating their 25th anniversary or the 20th. I don't even know what it was. I think it was the 25th. Yeah. Cause now they're at their 30th. Um, and I went out to, I had filled in in super touch and went out and played the new California one, which we got asked to do, but we just, it was a flat out like, no. And just because, you know, just didn't seem possible. Um, but when we were out there, I talked to like some of the people who put it on and they're like, you know, we're going to do New York, like Texas has to play. And I'm like, and I had such a good time and it was such a good good feeling and all around i was like we should be playing this i don't know why we didn't do this it's kind of stupid you know like into another played quicksand you know it was the first time quicksand played and i felt like really even though i was out there playing i was like texas should have been a part of this you know so i came back you know was just like talked everyone i was like listen we have to do the new york show like it was it was just awesome it was so much fun so that's how we ended up doing the 2012 um and then that got into talking like, listen, if we're going to get this, the wheels rolling again, and do all this work, like let's at least, you know, do some shows in the U.S. and do some shows in Europe and, you know, and then Revelation was going to put out the discography and they want to put it in like, let's record these songs we never recorded that we, you know, and, uh, <clears throat> but definitely that, you know, that band got way bigger going away. But I think a lot of, you know, younger bands taking back sunday thursday my chemical romance like mentioning us right sure you know mm-hmm. and i'm sure like with jawbreaker you know same thing you know right I don't know who but i know a lot of bands you know but that's i mean just a lot of people missed that. i mean what was that like 25 years ago yeah i guess that was a long time ago jets <laughs> is like coming up next year will be 
20 years for really? Orange Rhyming Dictionary. I, the first interview I ever did for Alternative Press was for when Four Corner Night came out. I interviewed with Blake. And then there's a show at, like, the old Grog Shop. Yeah. <laughs> the tiny I one. remember hanging out at the, at the Grog Shop. Yeah. Yeah, the old... Um, what do you think, like, brings people back? Because, I, I, you know, obviously it's Jawbreaker thing... I mean, it's almost comical because it's like watching the Dear You conspiracy like 20 years later again, like unfold. I'm like, in a way, I'm like, you know what? Good for them. Like they were fucking with everyone like in a 20 year span and messing people up and making the punk kids crazy. Yeah. Which I love in a way. But I always remember I hear um, there's a big controversy years ago because Led Zeppelin wanted to play and Jimmy Page started publicly calling out Robert Plant. Like, you're the one holding this up. You're the one who doesn't want to do Zeppelin. Robert Plant was like, what the fuck am I going to do Zeppelin for? He's like, I can't sing those songs. He's like, I write this beautiful music with all these other people. I'm not bored. I love my life. He's like, no need. He's like, I'm fine. And they were talking about the money thing. He's like, it's not the money that brings these artists back. He's like, it's the, it's missing it. It's like missing just the stage and the people and the camaraderie of travel and like the things that happen like behind the scenes with with a with a music group. Like, do you think that is more the impetus sometimes for 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 you or, or bands like Jawbreaker? Like, where do you think that comes from from artists? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't really speak, you know, for, especially for the the situation Jawbreaker's yeah. in with this show. I mean, that's a real high profile probably bigger than any, i mean anyone from our scene has sure even them i mean that's that's astounding you know to me like uh, i'm impressed that the the level and like to the witness what that's going to be like will be interesting i think um but yeah i mean i don't think i mean i can tell you right now i mean with texas like the 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 money thing like you know that there was the offers were bigger made it easier to step away from our adult lives mm-hmm. and families and also you know definitely was uh like enticing in that way but sure. ultimately if we weren't going to have fun i mean it, there was i think for us the urge to like we, it's it's fun to be together you know yeah. we have laughs like beyond belief the old jokes and like everything like we enjoy being in each other's company and it is you know that's uh you know, there's a lot of work involved in getting it, you know, and a lot of pressure to make it sound the best it could possibly sound. But at the same time, it's it's just we do have fun, you know. Yeah. And that was definitely like a big that was, you know, the main uh, if we, I don't think we would have done it if we didn't think it was going to be fun. You know, cool. Um, speaking of your adult life, I don't know if you know about this. I got a text message a few years ago from my mom <laughs> that said, Jonah, the drummer for Texas Reason is cutting my hair. He says hi, and I had to read it. Like I was like, "How does my mom know who Texas is the reason?" Is? I was like, "My mom like secretly have like yeah like the Rev catalog." And then I went down and like I was like, "I'm coming." I was like coming to meet them. I was like, "Oh, I'm definitely coming now." Yeah, yeah. And yeah, you cut my mom's hair. Yeah, yeah. Is so, that had you been working? It was like a special. Cur- my mom has very curly hair. Yeah. Okay. So this is like a salon that yeah I work for Divashan Salon, which is like we specialize in curly and natural hair. And what happened was like, you know, Jets broke up and then I, I played with Walter Schreifels for a little while. He was like, it was right when Rival Schools broke up and he was like kind of getting into like writing more like 
psychedelic 60s kind of mm. you know getting away from distortion and it was like more like donovan-esque uh music and he had asked me to like it was right when like jets was coming to an end but he's like you know we were both in brooklyn he's like hey could you help me out i'm writing this stuff like i think you'd be great to play on it i was like yeah so we demoed some stuff just him and i like and it was acoustic based and uh i did that and then we recorded an album that got scrapped and then eventually that turned into walking concert and but it just for like two years we were just like it was a recording project so in that time i became really restless and i was also like second get you know at first i was like you know, I thought it was going to be a band and like, you know, I quit Jets and I, we were doing that and I was like excited for it. But I found myself like I'm like, like kind of uh, getting anxiety about it taking off and like having to go out on the road and like touring. And I was just like at that point, I was like, I, I need to find something. I was just like managing like a, a cafe in like, you know, down in Soho. And I was like playing music but i wasn't like trying to like play music like as a career anymore i was like trying to think of something else to do and uh you know this coincided my father passed away uh like i got married into like i quit jets i think like yeah i mean i don't think i know the next year i got married the year after that my father passed away two years after that my brother passed away and there was all this it was just this period where i was kind of like floating i didn't know what i wanted to do but i know i didn't want to like get in another touring band so i was trying to like think of something i could do that was still like artistic creative and fun and you know i found myself you know i took we moved out to like south brooklyn by bay ridge and i was like i'm gonna work out there i got a job i ran like this little like juice bar cafe in a um that was in a, like a really high end hair salon out there. Mm. Worked there for like six months. It was it was brutal, but you know while I was there, I became friends with the owner of the salon, who was this guy, and he was just like, you know, I think of it, I only thought of this like recently. I you know I, I people always ask like how I got into it, but like I remember that it was there that I would watch him, and he just seemed to like have this really casual way about his life. But you know, he made good money. He had like family. Seemed like he really loved what he did. He was creative. You know, he made people feel good. And uh, so I would like watch him at work and observe with him, and we would talk. But I, I think of it now, like he was definitely like I think what put the idea in my head. Like it's a cool job. It's you know, it's it's stable. It's artistic. Like where better to start a hair dressing career in new than in new york so it took a little while i was trying to like think what i could do and you know i was just coming up with every idea and just nothing sounded right and then it's like you know i talked to my wife about it and i was like what if i go to school and like learn how to cut hair you know and she was like i would totally be into that i hmm. think it would be awesome and i was like yeah so the more i said it i was like yeah i could that could that could be what i can do you know like i can do that for the rest of my life like you know all these you know things that i wanted to get out of a career like i could do it how long does that take from <clears throat> when like you make that decision to being able to do it professionally well, i registered and you go to school in new york to get your cosmetology license you have to go to a uh, cosmetology school for a thousand hours okay so it took me i went full time you know my wife was like she you know was like i um, let's do this like if you're gonna do this like do it mm-hmm so I went full time and I I think it was from like September to like March. I graduated in March and I got out and I was just like I was a little nervous about getting into the you know, I was still I was like, Wow, I'm, I 
have my cosmetology license. Yeah, like, new ball game all I gotta, together. <laughs> like, I got to do this now. Right. You know, like, there's no turning back now. So it took me a little while. I finally, and I, this was the first salon I worked at. Was And I, I was just walking around Soho one day giving out um, resumes. And I walked into this salon, Devishon, and, uh, you know, I didn't really know what they were about. And then I went for the interview and the guy explained, he's like, so, you know, we do natural hair. We don't really do, you know, this is what we specialize in, you know, natural and curly hair. I was like, okay, cool. And then I was like, so he's like, why don't you come to this class and check it out? So I did it. And it was, it was just a really cool way of, of, you know, it was a little different from, uh, you know, the regular way of in the beauty industry and it was a specialty salon. So I was like, why not? You know, like I'm already like, I stand out and, you know. There's not like having short hair and like, you know, being a guy. Right, right. You know, it was like, I felt like a fish out of water. No matter any salon I went into, like I wasn't fancy enough. I wasn't like, you know, I didn't have like an ego or anything. I was just very, you know, I was just trying to get my foot in the door. So it was just, it was a cool opportunity to do something different. And, you know, so I took it. So I went on there and the owner, he became like my mentor and like, you know, cause I was a little older than all the other like apprentices who came in. Most of them came in like out of high school, you know, or like in their early twenties. And I was like this, you know, 30 year old guy who was married, like, <clears throat> so he kind of like fast tracked me and he's like, I'm going to show you how to, what you need to do. And, you know, and I was like, yeah, this is what I want. I want to get, I want to get, you know, I want to do this. So. I feel like cool. I gotta let the beast down now. Yeah, I thought you would have been inspired by Norman Brandon, who has perfect hair. That, How does that, he do it? I, it's like a work of art. I Listen, can't even... I had it tied up, but I gotta let the beast down now. Let it down, dude. I oh, sometimes let it fly. I sometimes when I down. interview Norman, I just get distracted. It's it's startling. It's, it's like what's Norman got oak. going on in his head these days? It's just this. It's like, impressive. It just I can't explain. I feel like I've talked about this, but it's like it's just perfect. Really? Yeah. I mean, there's not a. Piece out of place. But why is that guy dressing so like everything well? Is he like, does. It's, he, that guy seems to do everything well. Yeah. Like yeah. I even remember like antimatter, the zine. I'm like, this is barely a zine. This is like a magazine. How annoying is being in a band with someone like that? It's good at stuff. <laughs> He's just too I've, good. I've done does, it before. Does it put it you out. Yeah. Well, you should ask him because like he <laughs> we'll got to be in a band with me. You know. <laughs> so, but Chris, but, I have a confession. <laughs> Okay, that. I, I got to finish my story. Oh, yeah. oh we're still on here. Oh, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Hold it. I cut off. Hold. That's my but, fault. So anyway, yeah, I, I get to rambling. I'm sorry. But so, yeah, so I I, I started uh, working there as an apprentice and eventually I got on the floor. I got my chair. You know, I'm like, wow, I'm doing this. This is what I set out to do. So it was a cool place. And uh, one day, you know, after after I was taking clients for a couple of years, I came in and, you know, Turned out to be your mom, but we were sitting there, you know, and I always make small talk. I was like, what do we, you know, what do you want to do? Sure. And she's just like, oh, you know, I just want to, you know, we talked about how she wanted to cut. And she's like, you know, I have a special event tonight. Um, so I want to look good for that. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, so we get ready and I start cutting. And I'm like, so, so where are you going tonight? And she's like, oh, well, my daughter's on SNL. So it's, it's like the rap party for the season. And I was like, who's your daughter? And she said, uh, Vanessa Bear. And I was like, 
oh my god <laughs> I'm, like, I'm friends with your son jonah like just like that and i don't think she was like what like i, <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's the response she wanted it's to, not the response like, she gets very often and you yeah. put it together really like, but i was like i was like yeah. no way and i was like your daughter's very funny yeah. don't get me wrong but and you're like, I was like oh this is jewish hair this <laughs> makes sense <laughs> but i was like oh no you know it was just it was totally funny she's like oh i'm actually texting with him right now he's supposed to meet me here and i'm like tell i'm like right so i'm like write this exactly tell him the drummer of texas is the reason is cutting yeah. my hair and, she right did. Wow. and i was actually like, on my way and i was kind of late i was like i don't want to go to this weird salon and meet my mom and then i was like oh i can't wait to get over there i was yeah. so excited to see you guys yeah. together that must have been the last text you were it expecting was to get so funny <laughs> yeah but it's it's a cool you know it's a cool job i've been i've been there for i've been doing this now for like nine years cool. and uh it's totally you know given me everything i i wanted and you know especially like uh you know just uh the stability factor like it's, it's a cool job it's fun and you know it's like occasionally like probably you know i counted on one hand but in the nine years i've been there i've had random clients who've been like you know they they ask about like how i got into doing curly hair and, right you know i kind of give them the brief story like oh i used to be a musician and uh you know i got away from like that and i wanted something more stable you know blah 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 and, and they're like oh what band were you and i'm like uh oh, you wouldn't you know just little like indie rock band she's like like who you know i'll be like uh jets to brazil and they'll be like oh my god i used to see you guys in like school uh, cool. like in college yeah, all the yeah. time like, she, i even had a jets to brazil shirt or like even <laughs> texas is the reasons you know occasionally once in a while like someone will be like no way that's amazing and, no 108 no but there was a dude who knew resurrection nice he was like uh he and he was actually like getting cut by one of my coworkers, and she was like my client is a fan of your bands. Like he asked, is that, is that Chris Daly from Resurrection? <laughs> I was like, oh my Do God. Do you tend to, <laughs> to part hair back into the left or turn away? Occasionally. Sorry, I had to. I what was it. your question? Oh, no, it's not even a question. It's a confession. <laughs> okay, what's your confession? Confess. That, listen, so <clears throat> I grew up listening to your music. Resurrection was just before my time where i was too young to go to your shows but 108 was one of my favorite bands ever awesome texas reason one of my favorite bands ever and my confession is i've stolen from you so many times <laughs> like literally i mean it could be up to the hundreds by now of like little fills little things that i've literally just directly taken from you well, so i just wanted to get it out there I know it's like music, we're all supposed to share, and it's cool, but I just, if you need to punish me, if I gotta pay you something, just let, just me, let say me know this, now. And this should put you at ease. I okay. think it's just, you know, a succession of, I just, you know, did the same thing. I just ripped off <laughs> Alan Cage and William Goldsmith, basically, like, without the two of them, you know, I, I would... So it been, does lead to a question, though, about the way you write, because... One thing I've always noticed in your playing and, you know, just drumming in general through the years is that, you know, if you try to reinvent the wheel too much drumming, you're probably going to wind up playing something nobody wants to hear mm -hmm. eventually, you know? So I think so much of it is style and the way you approach songs and something I've naturally done. And I think it's because of the music I loved when I was younger, your music being part of it is that I always write drum parts specifically kick drum patterns based on melody 
based on vocal melody, guitar melody, and really trying to like match it like that. Mm-hmm. And I get the impression from your music you would do the same thing. Is is that how you write? Yeah, I, def- I definitely think so. Like I've never been, you know, like about like crazy fills and like flashy and like you know i like to i i think you know my playing is more subdued and it's like i always like to like i don't like to overpower anything or or step on anything else like i like to create you know some space in the music and i think like a lot of my playing i actually played behind the beat and like you know with texas like it was weird like you know after you know i i didn't really think too much about like when you know when you're young playing in band we were just playing like but the way it was was norm would write the riffs mm. of the song so i would play to norm okay to the guitar riffs like i wasn't playing to the bass you know we would all play to the guitar riff that's how those songs were written so when you know with jets to brazil it was more organic you know uh blake you know came up with a part either on keyboards or on a guitar or on a, even acoustic sometimes they were start they were formed and we built from there but me and jeremy uh, the bass player, like we would lock in as a rhythm session. That was the mm. first time where I played with the bass player, you know, mm. and him and I would like do that. And that definitely changed my drum playing and evolved it. Mm. So that when we got back with Texas, I was playing the songs how that felt natural to me. And, and Norm's like, you're playing that wrong. He's like, you're hit, you're the kick. He's like, I know because like the kick uh, was always locked. And I was like, I forgot about that. Huh. Like, I didn't, I was like, interesting. Really? And it, it was, it felt forced to me to do that again. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay. But it, once I did it, it, I locked into it and I, it made sense. But, you know, it was like two different ways of playing, you know, right. like my younger self and my older self, like I, I went about it a totally different way. But <clears throat> I think it's definitely like, yeah, like somewhere in in the groove and the melody and, you know, not, not being too, you know, I like to just kind of lay a, a groove or, yeah. you know. And I think it's something I feel like not a lot of drummers pay attention to these days is like playing to the song. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone just wants to hear themselves fucking play so much yeah. for some reason. And I always get the impression with a lot of drummers these days that like they're just dying to be in the front. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's like they're so uncomfortable with their position, which is like a thankless position for the most part. Yeah. You know, you're probably yeah. going to get recognized the least, the last for right. your work potentially doing almost more work than anyone and that's just the way drums are yeah and i feel like that weird if you can't accept that you start to overplay to make yourself more noticed or like put yourself in the front or something yeah. and you sh- like i hate that yeah it bothers me yeah or like a stick flipper or a drummer who's like oh, i'm gonna release my solo album at like 40 i'm like you fucking serious dick like you just bought an acoustic like you're not gonna be good at this yet you know i, I don't know this is my personal my thing is hatred like, with modern drummers, drummers who just like can't let go of the like when they like play the crash symbol like a hi-hat oh, yeah. and i'm just like like i see some bands sometimes and i'm like just stop like just play the hi like <laughs> right. like like you know you're you just it's an accent bro yeah yeah it's like that's that's a tough one for me so how is it um with the high disciple stuff that's um, what i was gonna ask get out of yeah, here yeah like, jonah we're, we're on really same wavelength. Wavelength. We're yeah on, i've been on some weird mind stuff <laughs> lately yeah. okay jonah I, I can't get specific about it but i made a call recently about some people and their eventual problems 
that uh we, yeah we can be we can be vague we're not gonna say it, but yeah benny benny made a prediction and i was like no way you're totally wrong and then like two days Wait. later someone's like you hear about this i was like benny called it that's what's up man uh, so now i'm curious but we'll wait until <laughs> I'll tell you well, we'll get off yeah. mic we'll yeah, get yeah. off mic so hi <laughs> disciple your current band yeah. yeah so i what happened was uh you know the texas stuff happened um and after that it was just kind of like I moved out to Jersey. I was playing in Super Touch sporadically, but again, I was like, you know, we get an offer to go play some fest in like the Midwest, and I was like, I'm not getting in a van and driving yeah. to go play. You know, I can't do it. You know, and especially it's like at this point, you know, giving up a day at work was just I, I would be even sacrificing way too much, and it was just like with the family now, I had to start thinking that way. So it was like I liked playing shows here in the city sporadically, but I was like. I can't do this anymore. So, you know, Super Touch was really uh, infrequent anyway. It wasn't like we played a lot, but I just kind of found myself. I wasn't playing music anymore. I stopped doing that. Texas was done. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do next. You know, I was like living out there and I was like not into the idea of coming into the city to rehearse. And, uh, you know, eventually, you know, I had gotten like fully immersed in like grateful dead i've always been a fan of like dub music reggae stuff and you know always thought it'd be fun to play but you know you got it's a it's a slippery slope you know white dudes playing reggae yeah so it was always like it has to be something cool and different but i met through i through social media somehow i came in contact with this dude uh larry de giovanni who did a project called dub for light and I was like, oh, you know, the name just got me interested right off the bat, you know, Bad Brains reference. And I checked it out and he did this solo thing by himself. And it was like amazing with, you know, it was like all like electro dub with um, electric drum, electronic drums. So, you know, I realized like he was like a hardcore dude, you know, who's into this type of music and he lived pretty close by. So I was like, I reached out to him and I was like, you know, he had, he knew Texas and stuff so we knew we had a mutual uh background and stuff like that i was like if you ever want live drums on your stuff like let me know i'd you know i'd be down to come play and he was like why don't we you know let's start something from scratch you know we could play so him and i got together at a studio out there and um just started playing drum and bass style and at the time even though i had been listening to it for so long i didn't really grasp the concept of playing like the one drop like ready yeah, beat right. you know so you know it just took him and i just kind of we would get this place for like three hours go in and just like plug in and just play and would have some effects going too to kind of fill it out so we started doing that recording would it. you be affecting the drums too like kicking <laughs> snare yeah well that was his idea so doing proper Putting dubs. mics on yeah on yeah, the snare cool, and i had like cool. a, a timpani would put that and he ran that through effects pedal so it was just yeah. like it was awesome and i'm yeah. like this is fun you know because there was no pressure there was no you know parameters to what we were doing it was just like pure fun and creativity and it was the first time like doing something you know outside of like playing in a rock band you know that i'd ever done especially an instrumental so we kept it like the two of us we recorded we tracked some stuff and then he you know edited it and um did overdubs with drums bass like i mean uh guitar bass you know some synthesizers and we we made like three songs out of it and put a demo up and through that an old friend scott st hilaire who 
I went back to I played in my very first hardcore band when I was in high school. We were both in high school called Out of Hand. And was he in Elements at that point? He, this was after. Oh, yeah, okay. He, you know, and uh, it was, that was after Out of Hand. But we did Out of Hand, and then this is like something that... But he was the original guitarist of Lifetime. He had started right. Lifetime with Ari and Dan Yeeman, and Out of Hand had just broken up, and Ari was just playing drums at the time, and they needed a drummer. So I, I, was in, I started Lifetime. I was in Lifetime for the first year. I played on the demo. Huh. Really? I and never I got, knew that. I got I kicked didn't know out. That either. You got kicked oh, out. It's the only band I've ever been kicked out. I was kicked out of Lifetime. Physically by Dan? <laughs> Physically. He just lifted me up and he was like, You fucking suck. But that was basically I mean, they were just like I you know, I don't know. What's the story there? Had you... <laughs> I, I don't know. I think you know, they were we started as like a hardcore band. Right. And yeah. it was definitely mm-hmm. like those like Dan and Ari were more into like the descendants. Mm-hmm and like all and there was this more melodic thing coming into it and i was still playing like mosh beats you right, know, right, and i right. was like you know and i i think you know who knows it just wasn't a f- right fit but uh you know whatever it was they basically told me like i sucked <laughs> that was that but i jo- like literally they kicked me out and like the next day you know my bruised ego picked me right up uh rob and dan from resurrection called and they're like dude because ari was playing drums in resurrection they're like Ari's out. You, if you want to play drums, awesome. And it, it was it was a better fit for me. So I was in Resurrection immediately. But um, I don't even know what what started that. Oh, Scott yeah. Saint Hilaire. So yeah, so we played, and then eventually Scott ended up quitting. And but we always kept in contact over the years. And it turned out he was living in Summit, like after we released High Disciple released this demo, which is uh, me and Larry. And he's like, this stuff's amazing. And we were like, at the time, we we're thinking like, how can we perform this live? You mm-hmm. know, like. It's, we were we were rehearsing it and adding some effects, but it still didn't have like we wanted to color it in a little more. And Scott played in like a he's been playing in like a surf band, mm. and he's got this really cool style, and he's super into like dub and reggae music, so he knew that too. But he's like, I was like, why don't you come play with us? You know, and so it was just natural. He came in and it was like, yeah, it's perfect. So it was a three piece, and uh, we uh, started writing. He's been in the band now about a year and a half, and we've just been writing and rehearsing and. Played, you know, we played some shows with Garrett in October, and then um, Richie from Into Another got in touch in like November and asked us if we wanted to do a run of shows with them in Super Touch mm. in January. And I was like, oh, that would be perfect, like you know. So we ended up doing that, and uh, you know, did playing. you pull double duty? No, okay, no, no. Super Touch played with Rich, their drummer, who I replaced. Who you know, so it was awesome like we got to play you know we got to open up which was kind of awesome because we could just set up you know we've got like effects and stuff and i have like you know not a big drum set but i had stuff you know it was just it would have been a pain to like so you can sound check and stay yeah like, you know when we, yeah. like i said we mic everything ourselves and run it through the pa and through effects so it was like it was nice to be able to like after the headlining bands sound checked we could set our stuff up get everything right get everything you know line check so we can chill out and just walk up and play play for 30 minutes and then we got to watch like super touch and into another every night four nights and so that was cool and now we're just uh you know we're playing some shows that we're playing in brooklyn in uh may 12th at bar matchless and we're we've been recording in our studio space like uh we have about nine or ten songs so we've been tracking we're gonna record everything i think you know originally we we're like recording an album but it just like seems you know nine or ten songs like some of the songs are like they can go on a little bit and with people's attention spans nowadays i don't think putting out a dub you know 10 song 
dub instrumental record is really like uh you know gonna keep people's attention so we're just gonna release like a few songs at a time here and there so that's the plan but yeah it's cool it's just kind of like taking taking on this uh you know it's like psychedelic dub you know space rock like uh shoegaze and it's got all these different elements but there we just it's just totally fun to be playing in something that's you know has no format you know yeah. we can just we make make it up and like there's it's songs have like a certain structure that we can record but then live we can just kind of improvise and let it do its own thing and it's it's totally fun you know and there's no pressure we're not trying to like make it a big thing like we rehearse one night a week we got a cool rehearsal space everyone's got jobs like you know families and so it's it's just it's a lot of fun i mean i feel like when you're into hardcore hardcore can be so formulaic with like you know verse whatever breakdown and when you get into hardcore it's so easy to just only listen to hardcore mm-hmm. i mean have you always kind of listened to all this other different kind of stuff kind of throughout your whole career yeah i mean that's the thing is like you know growing up in my family and having so much influence you know it was like you know my mom the beatles my brother the dead and you know he also like got me into like led zeppelin and the who and you know, he, he, he definitely listened to other stuff, you know, too. My sister was like into the stones. She got, you know, so it was like, and then I found my own, you know, I found in like the police and Van Halen, like those bands, probably the two of them, like were such a, like, you know, cornerstone in, in everything for me. Like those are the first two bands. I really was just, I mean, there was kiss too. Um, but you know, the police were like a band I immersed myself in and I was just like, and then Van Halen and then, you know, but even, you know, I got into heavy metal and I definitely like, you know, was just listening to metal because it wasn't cool to listen to anything else. But I would find myself listening to other stuff like, you know, um, and then with hardcore, same thing. I got, you know, like in late 80s, you know, probably 87 to to 90, I probably only listened to hardcore for the most part. But right after that, I found myself like going back to The Who, Led Zeppelin. You know, by the time Texas was happening, we were all listening to like Ride and Oasis and Swerve Driver and The Verve and, you know, there was a lot. But, you know, and then even in, in Jets, you know, Jeremy uh, Chatelain and I, I was, we were really tight. We lived a block away. <laughs> he opened me up to so much music that I had just criminally overlooked like you know david bowie for one like he was mm-hmm. just a david bowie fanatic and i was just like how did i sleep on david bowie like you know <laughs> but it was just like he i mean he jeremy turned me on to so much music and that was i think definitely uh helped the creation of jets to brazil songs there, there's a, there's a lot going on in there but mm-hmm. you know it's i i hear him and I, you know there's certain things i can i can place from like david bowie or um you know beatles or you know whatever but um yeah i mean definitely like i always found myself listening to a lot of stuff you know i think like the only thing like at this point in my life like i can honestly say like i love hardcore music and it's like been such a huge part of my life like even my friends and but i don't listen to hardcore music like it's 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 hard you know with especially two little kids i know some people do it but for me it just doesn't it's i'm never in the mood yeah you know it's just like in the car with the kids i'm not going to put on agnostic front you know (laughs) but you know the dead always seems to work you know (laughs) not not to my wife you know she's sometimes she's like 
again. Like, can we listen to something else? <laughs> and I'll be like, you know, I'm always make the joke like, okay, we'll listen to the Jerry Garcia band. <laughs> you know, but, I got a I got a best Jimmy Cliff CD that's been in my player for like yeah. four months for my kid right now. Yeah, that's and it's good got stuff. all the bad like '90s like reggae night like those songs, yeah, which yeah. is actually has turned into one of my favorite fun songs yeah, now. Yeah. Like a ton reggae is always good, you yeah, know, for the kids like like it but but if anyone here is listening i highly recommend the reggae night jimmy cliff video because it is the most like classically awesome like coca-cola white meets black island commercial <laughs> basically that you could possibly i mean it's fucking awesome that's amazing yeah i watch it like once a week um did it how long did it take to get like the uh the kick on the three and like doing doing the regular like second nature like <clears throat> rather than like having to think about it it took a little bit but like once i did it it was like you know i was like this is like it it just it was so much fun did it open do. up like a lot more possibilities yeah, at first I, I had to a... really think about it sure. and i wasn't really able to like venture too far away right. from it yeah. what do you guys mean you have it from well, the like, police, right? yeah like, but that's Copeland, thing, as much as i love like... and Stuart copeland like i always said was a big influence on me I I don't fuck like I didn't play like Stuart Copeland, oh, yeah. but now I, I like with High Disciple. It's like I'm doing stuff, you know, rim shots and like fast like you're on the and it's like hat, yeah, totally post, like oh, I you know I do that that trick where you overdub the hi hat like. Chris, you want to explain to Jonah what we're talking about about the kick? So basically, every form of music, rock and roll, jazz, you know, every type of music is always formatted on uh, uh, what is it, the two and four or is it the the no. Like one it's like the one and three, so it's yeah. like one, yeah, like the kick. Okay, reggae for some. I don't know, you know. I mean, Sly Dunbar, like they 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 turned it, and it was the same thing with the like you know they took the blues and like did the upstroke rather than the downstroke with blues with the guitar. It was always like, um, but with reggae they took so it's like one two three. And it's like on the third beat. Okay. And it's... It's, it's the kick and snare together. Which is and, totally and kick awkward and snare for someone from at a At the rock. same time. It yeah. makes no sense. You're like... like the, and so you, you hit the snare and the kick at the same time. Whereas like with rock and every other type of music, you know, you're... Right. Okay. But with this is... And it's a whole then, different animal. And it just it's just a different yeah. And but it's the only type of music that does that too. But I think it's like, like yeah. every instrument it fucks with your head. Yeah. Like guitar, bass, everything. Yeah. Reggae does that, even. Yeah. Like that yeah. like you said, like the upstroke. Yeah. Just totally is a mind fuck. Yeah, totally. <laughs> there's this one ooh, there's this really cool um uh, Larry, who I play with in High Disciple, he sent me. It's uh, Stuart Copeland. It's like a video from way back then, him explaining the beat and sh- you know doing it. And I watched that pretty like re- repetitively to like wrap my head around. Hmm. And even that, I was just like, wow, this is. It's him in uh, the band leader. Uh, he has like the show on BBC where all the bands perform. In the- you probably played oh, Jules, Jules Holland. Holland. Jules Holland, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's he- it's him and Jules Holland. But it's like you know from the eighty, you know eighty three. Oh yeah, because he was in like a new wave band. He was in Squeeze. Right? Squeeze. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. And uh, but it's him. It's Stuart Copeland like explaining that 
and it's the, it's the awesome. coolest thing to watch because really? you're like because he plays you know just typical rock drums and then he's like and then you take it and just turn it on its head and yeah speaking of upstrokes have you ever been in a ska band no because <laughs> all the bands you're in are so cool i'm like never, would you ever like, have that ska off- is like yeah not to mention like i'm like all right, I'm interviewing Chris Daly. He's been like all my favorite bands, and now I find out you're in fucking Lifetime too. <laughs> like, yeah, like just that. Fans, like, just I was a, toss that a into mere the pile. footnote in Lifetime. You know, nothing. You know, I, like I said, I recorded on the demo. Uh, when you guys were like in Texas, were you guys consciously infusing that? Like you said, you were really listening to like Oasis oh, and Ride. Yeah. Totally. Because like as a kid, watching you guys was like. I always gravitated to like your band or band like Lifetime became with the more melodic side of hardcore because I like came from loving classic rock into punk and hardcore as yeah. a teenager. And I, it's good to hear that you guys were actually listening to that stuff because I was yeah. always like, they're so different. <laughs> and you it's remember so the more town melodic. that Stephen's from hosted the first Texas is a Reason Methodist show. Church. Yeah, I was yeah. there, dude. I was there as well. <laughs> yeah. Really? With the famous frig- flyer that said dude, that X, show was- Shelter, Copper, Fountainhead, and maybe 108 or something. Yeah, I'm sure yeah you had to be yeah, represented sure. on there. Really weird shows. Snapcase, Ignite, Bloodlet, Bloodlet, Bloodlet. Donuts, Donuts, yeah. Mouthpiece, Mouthpiece, uh, and then Texas's first show opening. Yeah. Bad, I love Mouthpiece. Weird, weird But that's lineup. the thing. We played like... All of our first shows were with, like, Snapcase, and yeah. we, played, we played shows with Madball. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't weird <laughs> for us or anybody else. Like, it made, you know, it's like, looking at it on paper, it's ignorant, but it's like, for us, it was like, well, we're, we're hardcore. Dudes. I don't think people knew what you know? to do with you guys. I don't know if you saw recently, someone posted on, um like, a hardcore nostalgia Instagram or something, a picture of you guys playing at 67 Handy Street in New Brunswick. Right. And the picture, the only person standing in the photo is 15-year-old me wearing... <laughs> I remember I commented Yeah, wearing like, like an engineer's cap and just like nerding out with my hey, backpack. Like I remember playing that show, but I don't remember everybody yeah, sitting down. Yeah, and it was this weird stage where like no one knew what to do with Texas. Like people like me were like, yo, that's the fucking bro from 108. This is my band. They're fucking melodic. Like I love it. I'm all about it. And I mean, like we played... To the point like, that... The guitars were like... My band at that Texas time too, yeah. went like, to record with Brian McTernan because of you guys. Like this is, awesome. this is how big it was. And I remember thinking at the time, there was like, you couldn't mosh at a Texas show, but then there was that whole like DC Fugazi thing going on at the time, which is like, you're not supposed to fucking touch each other or move or whatever it shows, just yeah. sit down and enjoy, which I also thought was bullshit. Yeah. And I remember sitting at this show watching Texas, everybody fucking sat down. <laughs> and I'm already like a 15 year old who's, you know, a dick. And I'm like, I'm fucking sitting down. Like, you crazy? So this picture is like of all these kids sitting down and me standing up watching Texas. Yeah. But it, but I, I, I make that point because it was, you guys really did push limits, especially locally, because there wasn't anyone really doing totally. that yet. Yeah. And all. it actually, the, the, you know, the genesis of Texas was Norm was playing in Shelter and I was playing in 108 and we toured together in the summer of 93 and him and I would just like always just be hanging out and talking and, you know, and like we were listening to like 10,000 Maniacs and like, you know, we weren't listening to any hardcore at that point. We were like, we were just immersed in like Smashing Pumpkins and, you know, all this stuff and we were like, we should do a bit. And originally me, Norm and Kate 
from 108 right. uh-huh, were going to sure. do a band. Uh, so we were playing, like, the three of us would kind of, like, sneak off, you know, whatever. We were at, like, some Krishna temple and we'd go, like, just go hang out. And Norm would have, like, an acoustic guitar and Kate would have, like, you know, her electric guitar unplugged. And we would just kind of sit and, you know, there were songs. I don't know if they, maybe they were, like, you know, like, te- the Texas songs off the EP um, maybe there were songs that Kate wrote, but like the three of us were talking about doing it and then it just didn't work out. And then Scott got involved and we didn't have a singer. Me, Scott and Norm had started it and we didn't know what we were going to do. And we had heard that Jeremy Chatelain was, we heard through Richie, uh, from into another that Jeremy was moving out to New York and we had known him from like touring and, you know, we knew he, he was, he had sang an ice burn on the first mm-hmm. ice burn seven inch. So we're like, maybe Jeremy could be our singer. And, uh, but what we didn't know was he was coming out here because he had got, he tried out for handsome with the guys from helmet and Tom Capone from quicksand. And they were going to record an album for Epic. So he was coming, he was moving out here for that. So he was like, I'm already in a band. So we're mm-hmm. like, you know, we didn't know what we were going to do. And it was just like, right at that point, Garrett, who we knew from Buffalo, he was playing bass in the band copper and got kicked out of copper. And he's like, oh, and we we just called him up immediately, like, dude, move to New York, sing for our band, you know. And uh, did Garrett do any singing, in Copper? You'd known him? No, but he's yeah. How did we know he could sing? <laughs> we had to know somehow. But uh, you know, he sang like it, we. I think we he was just, we were just so like enamored with him as a person, <laughs> and we're like, yeah, he should sing for our band, you know. So, and it was just quickly, you know, we were all into like. Like at the time, like Oasis, Verve, you know, all that stuff, all Britpop. Garrett was really into that stuff. So, and we were all into it too. And, you know, equally Fugazi, Lungfish, you know, the DC thing. And that's what Texas was. It was a merge of, of those two worlds, you know, with a, with a indie rock, you know, ethos kind of. But even but, there were hardcore breakdowns on the yeah, first totally. EP. Like it still showed. Yeah. Yeah. There was definitely, you know, like I said, like even, you know, a lot of the stuff was like, alan cage you know just i liked playing like with a punch sure you know and we definitely liked uh you know to make big loud open you know parts all right thank you to yeah we know it's good brad (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i know yeah you have to say it uh i'm a professional thanks to chris for coming by um you know, check out his new band, High Disciple. They're awesome. Um, if you want to get a killer, killer haircut, look him up. He did a great job on my mom. Um, and uh, yeah, check out all all of his bands. I mean, Chris is just a sick drummer. Yeah. Great dude. Made the Grateful Dead seem interesting to me, which is a huge accomplishment. <laughs> um, and his story about how he got back into the Dead was yes. pretty pretty awesome. Yeah. Too. Yes, that was a very a very a very great story. So, uh, yeah. Um, if you want to support the podcast, you can, uh, the best thing you could do for no money is just subscribe if you haven't done it yet. Uh, otherwise, send us money at Venmo at Off Track. My name will come up to verify. Uh, give us likes, Instagram, Twitter, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> Reviews on iTunes. Reviews are That's okay, I guess. One. We've got good reviews, so I guess I shouldn't poo-poo it. But you know, you never it know. Helps, you never know what you're gonna get. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um and listen next week for our next one. Thanks.
Bye. Bye, Bye. Jonah. <laughs> Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.